The church is built up and glorifies God through orderly worship. To the praise of your glory, to the praise of your mercy and grace, to the praise of your glory, you are the God who saves. It's great to see so many familiar faces back from the holidays. Also great to see some new faces today. Uh, as people have alluded to, my name is Phil. Uh, my wife, Lena, and I are members at WSBC, and it is my joy this morning to come share the Word of God with you. All right. I remember my first Sunday after heading off to college, an extremely important task. I was going church shopping. All right. And yes, that was the exact words and the mentality that I had at that time. So being a fairly new believer, I had just given my life to Christ less than a year prior. I didn't have any familial ties, right? No one to tell me, oh, you should check out this church, you should check out this church, right? So I did the most natural thing. I came up with what I was looking for in a church and I decided to make a pros and cons list. And like any good shopper, I created my list. I specifically remember my top priority was they need to play contemporary music, ideally with strong musicians. Occasionally, maybe they can play some of that old stuff, but I wanted the Chris Tomlins, the Shane and Shanes, the Phil Wickhams. The second, they, I need to have friends to go with me and ideally somebody who can drive if it's not within walking distance, right? And my last non-negotiable, my list was extensive, but my last non-negotiable was it needs to meet in the afternoon. I am not waking up before 11 on Sunday. So I created my list, my needs and wants, and started checking out churches until I found the one that best suited me. Now there may be some of you in here that have had a similar experience. Maybe when you went off to college, or maybe when you went to a different city to work that you're used to, that you're, of the church that you're used to going to. Others, you have no idea what I'm talking about because it's your first time at church or you're forced to go wherever your parents go. Whatever your experience and whatever your reason that brought you to WSBC today, I just want to say thank you and I'm glad you're here worshiping with us. So in our text today from 1 Corinthians 14, Paul will be addressing some of the issues of the motivations and practice of believers when they gathered as a church to worship God. You can, so we'll be reading the text from 1 Corinthians 14, uh, 26 to 40. You can follow along in your Bible, or you can find the text on page 13 of the bulletin. So I'll, be, I'll read. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. If there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. 
For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged, and the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission. As the law says, if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones that it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. This is the word of God. So before we dive into this passage, it's important to kind of review this entire section of 1 Corinthians. This letter from Paul to the church of Corinth, an early church that Paul had established after spending a year and a half with them, was one of rebuke, one of correction, and encouragement to be unified in Christ. And from chapter 11, uh, which we preached on a while back, Paul has transitioned from addressing practical ethical issues um, occurring in the church and now focusing specifically on unity when they gather to worship. In chapter 11, Paul addresses the issue of how husbands and wives are to behave during public worship and the disunity caused by socioeconomic disparity when they participated in the Lord's Supper. Then there's this big chunk, which we're concluding today, from chapter 12 to 13, where Paul addresses the disunity caused by the church elevating certain spiritual gifts above others. And specifically in chapter 13, with a call to put one, loving one another above expressing spiritual gifts. And last week, for the first half of chapter 14, Joe spoke on how Paul addressed specific, the specific gifts of tongues and prophecy, concluding that whether tongues or prophecy, the purpose of either gift is for building up the church. And today we include this entire section of 12 to 14 and a bit of 11. Right? We include this entire section of gathered worship where Paul will further address the gifts of tongue and prophecy and others, but focusing again specifically on tongue and gifts. Uh, today our main idea is that the church is built up and glorifies God through orderly worship. Our main idea for today is the church is built up and glorifies God through orderly worship. And we, we will be looking at the instructions of order and orderly worship through three points, or three instructions. The first, order through peace, verses 26 to 30, 33a. Order through peace, verses 26 to 33a. Order through place, second point, order through place, verses 33b to 35. And lastly, order through Paul's authority, verses 36 to 40. Lastly, order through Paul's authority, verses 36 to 40. So our first instruction, order through peace. Now to start off, verse 26, Paul once again goes back to the instruction that we need to build up the church, or let all things be done for building up. Right? In verse 5, previously in chapter 14, he says, Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. So he's calling back 
to this idea of building up, to the, building up the church again. But in verse 36, he goes beyond the scope of just tongues and prophecies and now includes a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Now Paul does this because he's, once again, he goes beyond the scope because he's not just talking about this section of verse. It's not just talking about gifts of just tongue or just prophecy, but now he's going back and talking about gifts overall, which he started in verse, chapter 12, verse 1, when he said, now concerning spiritual gifts. And though this is not an exhaustive list, Paul is summarizing these chapters of the verses, right? Paul, in the first half of chapter 14, establishes that it's better to prophesy than speak in tongues, as prophecy can edify the church. And it's important to remember that the Corinthian church is very young. It's a very young church, right? It was established by Paul during his second missionary journey. And it's right after Pentecost, where Jesus has just sent the Holy Spirit to his, to his followers. We read about this in Acts chapter 2, and where they all spoke in tongues. And then Peter shared the gospel for the first time, right? And this is, this is simply, this is, the church is built or established just within 10 to 20 years of all these events happening. So speaking in tongue, being a very mysterious gift, number one, right? It's not every day that we speak in tongues normally, even back then, right? And the fact that the Corinthians were practicing this in public, right? And most likely, the Corinthians were also familiar with this idea of speaking in tongues, or this not speaking in tongues specifically, but they had probably experienced pagan worshipers babbling nonsense at their pagan rituals. This could kind of, kind of, is similar to to, to the to from definitely from the outsiders of this looks similar to speaking in tongues. It's really understandable why the Corinthian church made the mistake of overemphasizing the gift of tongues and elevating it above certain other gifts. This is similar to how in Jesus' time, when people elevated Jesus' miracles above his actual teaching. <clears throat> this is why Paul needed to address the gifts specifically right, of tongues and prophecy. And this, in our section, he's specifically talking about order of tongues and prophecy. So in the second half of, of chapter 14, Paul continues addressing these gifts right, by saying, uh, uh, giving additional instructions on tongues and prophecy. And for tongues, he gives three guidelines. Number one, let there only be two or three at most. All right, guideline number one, let there only be two or three at most. Number two, let them speak in turn. Let them speak in turn. And number three, let someone interpret. And if there isn't an interpreter, that they should keep silent in church. All right? I've always wondered, like, how do they actually determine who's going to be the interpreter? Right? Is the person already able to interpret or just pick a random person? All right? Anyways. So for prophecy, the first two guidelines of two or three prophets can, can prophesy and speak in turn also applies. Right? And, but before we get to the additional guidelines that he adds on to prophecy, let's look at why Paul decides that only three people can speak and why they need to take turns. We can infer from the actual worship gatherings from all of 1 Corinthians so far, we can infer, especially 
chapters 11 to 14, that the, the, the gatherings of the Corinthian church were definitely not boring. They were, in fact, extremely lively. They came together with food and drinks, and the procession would include hymns, prayer, teaching, reading of the word, communion, speaking in tongues, prophesying, and, and more. This is very unlike modern-day worship, where we have one speaker right, who is giving exposition from the word. That was not a common occurrence in the early church. We can deduce that their gatherings were characterized with a dynamic interplay, where many people were sharing over one another often, and include, this would include often spontaneous, spirit-led speaking of tongues and prophecy. Now just imagine, they're gathering as a large group, not in the thousands, but maybe the hundreds at someone's home, right? People are eating and drinking, some, some people over there are praying, others are singing a song, someone is teaching, and random people are suddenly shouting out tongues and prophecy. It actually kind of sounds like one of my college fellowship gatherings where, you know, some people are dancing, some people are sharing and praying, and there's a group of guys trying to impress girls over there playing their acoustic guitars, right? Paul does not take issue with the practice of the gifts, right? So in these verses, it's clear, Paul does not take issue with the practice of the gifts. He says, all can prophesy, all can speak tongues. But he does not want the gifts to dominate their worship. He does not want the practice of these gifts to dominate their worship. Paul's issue is that in their gathered worship, it had become too individualized. In their gathered worship, it had become too individualized. When they gathered, they still focused too much on themselves, including too much on their own communication or worship with God, and not on God's purpose for the church, which is, he stated specifically in chapter, in verse 5 and 26, is to build up one another. Right? The purpose for the church is to build up one another, not just on your individual worship with God. And Paul emphasizes the role and purpose of the church in the book of Ephesians, which I would encourage you to read the entire book if, if you haven't read it in a while, or if you haven't read it before and reread it if you haven't read it in a while. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 21, Paul writes, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, where the one structure, Jesus being the cornerstone, joined together, growing together, into a holy temple of the Lord. This is the command of the Lord, which Paul's apostolic authority, or apostolic authority, he's writing to the Ephesians. This is the purpose of the church, which he's writing to the Ephesians, that they are to grow together into a holy temple in the Lord. So Paul's instruction of limiting both the amount of people who prophesy and speak in tongues is to provide order to their gatherings, as their gatherings had most likely become too unruly. Because the focus of gathering as a church is building up the church through encouraging and learning. The focus of the church is to build up the church through encouraging and learning. Right? It was difficult to learn when there's so many things going on and then when people are speaking language you don't understand, there's no explanation for it. How can you learn if you do not understand what the people are saying? 
This is even more evident in Paul's instruction for prophecy. Along with limiting the total amount of those who prophesy and speaking one at a time, he calls them to, in verse 29, weigh what is said. All right? In terms of prophecy, you don't need to weigh the tongues, but for prophecy, you need to weigh what is said. And in verse 30, if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. From Paul's instructions, we can make a few observations. The first observation, the prophecy that Paul refers to, the revelatory prophecy spoken about in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, right, does not carry the same weight as Old Testament prophecy. Right? It does not carry the same weight as Old Testament prophecy because they are told to limit the amount of people prophesying and also to weigh it. Can you imagine anyone saying to, prophet, to the prophet Isaiah, you know, you've spoken too long today. Maybe continue prophesying tomorrow. Or you're the fourth prophet. You can't go today. We've already had three before you, so you have to remain silent. Right? The Old Testament prophecy and the current prophesying that was happening in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 does not carry the same weight, or the Old Testament prophecy carries more weight. Observation two, teaching on God is more important than prophecy. Observation two, teaching on God is more important than prophecy. Paul tells the Corinthian church to weigh the prophecy, right? So they're supposed to determine if the prophecy given is consistent with the word of God, right? Is it consistent with God's character, the gospel, and apostolic teaching? That means some of the prophecy given obviously was not consistent. So not all prophecy given at that time in the Corinthian church was immutable, right? Some of it was flawed, so they needed to weigh it. On top of that, Paul then instructs them in verse 30, if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. Now what Paul means that if someone is prophesying, and somebody sitting there listening gleams some revelation about God, but the person prophesying should stop so that the revelation could be revealed. That means that the Holy Spirit-inspired prophecy is not as important as the Spirit-filled revelation. Both come from the Holy Spirit, but the revelation takes priority over the actual prophecy. The teaching takes priority over what is said. Paul then reiterates in verse 31, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all encouraged. All right, all may learn, all encouraged. He's focusing on the body, not the individual. He's focusing on the body, not the individual. And observation three, everything has to do with the character of God. From the prophecy and tongues, observation three, everything has to do with the character of God. Verse 32 and 33, the spirits of the prophets are subject to prophets. That means they shouldn't be out of control. They, shouldn't, they, should, they should maintain control when they are prophesying and speaking in tongues. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Now Paul reiterates this idea later on in verse 40 but all thing, when he says, but all things should be done decently and in order. Paul is making a very interesting theological point here. Very, very interesting. Or maybe just interesting to me. But he's saying that the character of one's deity, the character of one's deity is the character of the one that you worship. All right? So let me say that again. The character of one's deity is the character of the one that you worship. Now I say deity because at that time, at that time, most likely the gathering at the Corinthian church was starting to resemble other pagan gatherings in Corinth. 
pagan gatherings that were characterized by frenzy, disorder, where you'd find an abundance of food and drink, most likely drunkenness, and people babbling unintelligible words at the top of their lungs so that those present could experience some sort of emotional ecstasy. Right? That's what pagan gatherings looked like at that time, which many of those in the Corinthian church would have at least seen. Right? And now the Corinthian church was starting to resemble what the pagan rituals were looking like. Right? But the character, and Paul says, no, the character of God is a God of peace. The character of God is a God of peace. This peace not refers to a feeling in your heart, an individual emotional feeling, right? Not like, oh, I'm at peace with this decision I've made to uh, change jobs, right? That's not the peace that he's referring to, right? But he's talking about harmony in our works, actions, and spirit with other brothers and sisters. Harmony in our works, actions, and spirit with other brothers and sisters. In 2 Corinthians 13, 11, Paul writes, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Right? He had to reiterate this again in a second letter to the Corinthians because after the first letter, they still weren't doing it. Right? So he's calling the church to be a church of peace. Do not put your individual emotions, your individual learning, over the priority of building up the body. Right? Do not put that over the priority of building up the body. Brothers and sisters, gifts of the spirits are never to be made the focus of congregational life. Gifts of the Spirit are never to be made the focus of congregational life. Worship and word are the focus. Worship and word are the focus. The gifts flow under God's direction around the focus of worship and word. Right? Gifts are not excluded, but they are never the focus. The focus of any worship gathering should be worship and word to focus on the glory of God, not ourselves and not our emotions, not our emotional experience. doesn't exclude that, but that's never the focus. We will, reiterate, we will reiterate this again in point three, but for now, let's move on to our second point. All right, our second instruction from Paul, order through place, order through place, where he says, as in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Okay, before we break the section down, I want to give one huge reminder. One, one huge reminder. Verses like this are exactly why it is important to both know the context of what the original author is writing to the original audience, and equally as important not to use verses out of their context. Otherwise, our Sunday gatherings would be very quiet and not as fruitful if the women present were to never talk. All right? So remember that context is extremely important. We know clearly, first of all, we know clearly that Paul is not saying that women should never speak during their gatherings. Because in chapter 11, Paul recognizes that, both, that women can both pray and prophesy. All right? Paul recognizes that women can both pray and prophesy. If we consider that Paul has just been requiring the Corinthian church to carefully weigh prophecies that are presented, of which women can also prophesy, Paul is saying here that especially in the public weighing 
of prophecies, women should remain silent. In the public weighing of prophecies, not the actual prophesying themselves, but in the public weighing of prophecies, women should remain silent. And we can conclude this from the further elaboration given. Paul, so in this connection, specifically in the weighing of prophecies publicly, they, they should not speak. Now, Paul further elaborates that, number one, women should be in submission. This is similar to Paul's letter to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, 11-13, where he says, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain silent, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. All right, so the additional context he gives is remaining submission, for it is from the law, and the law he's referring to. This reference of the law is reference to the creation order in Genesis 2. Right? So in verse 34, when he says, as the law also says, he's most likely referring to Genesis 2, the creation order. Because though Genesis 2 does not mention that women remain silent, and in fact there is no Old Testament law that says women should be silent in any gathering, in any worship gathering, Paul understands that because man was made first, and woman made for man, that some kind of pattern has been laid down regarding the roles that the two play. Now Paul understands from this creation order that woman is, woman is to be subject to man, or at least wife subject to husband. So in the context of the Corinthian weighing of the prophecy, such submission could not be preserved if the wives were participating publicly. More broadly, again, in, second, in 1 Timothy 2, women are not allowed to have a church-recognized teaching authority over man. Instead of, if a woman wants to learn, according to verse 35, they, sh they should ask their husbands at home. Paul is not saying that women remain silent or never speak at church. What he's saying is that public worship gatherings is not a place for women to orally weigh prophecy in that context, in the Corinthian context. The place to orally weigh prophecy is in private. It's important to recognize that this section is not an exhaustive list of what the Bible has to say about the role of men, men and women, or husband and wife, or especially men and women and husband and wife in Christ, or an exhaustive list of what women are allowed to do in church, or Paul expects women to do in church. As our time is limited, I can't go into all the roles of men and women. That would, that would be another series of sermons or husband and wife. So you can, if you are interested to learn more, you can come talk to me uh, if you want more on this topic. But a quick word to the men of the congregation present. The weighing of prophecy, which Paul calls the Corinthian church to do, is not limited to a certain subgroup of men. As in, oh, only the leaders weigh the prophecy, or only those who are prophets that can, or can prophesy weigh prophecy. All right? he is, Paul calls all the men who are members of the Corinthian church to participate in the weighing of prophecy. Now, brothers, being mature in the word of God and understanding God's character is not a spiritual gift limited to a selected few. Let me say that again, being mature in the Word of God and understanding God's character is not a spiritual gift limited to a select few. You should all strive to know God intimately through His Word and be able to discern what is truth and what is wise. This does not mean that all men have to preach on Sunday mornings, but you should be able to lead and teach the Word to others. 
this exhortation is especially prevalent to husbands. We need to be able to lead and teach our wives in the Word. Men and women, all of us, we all have a, have a place in gathered worship. We all have a place in gathered worship, right? We glorify God when we remember our place in His design. Right? We glorify God when we remember our place in His design. We all, men and women, submit to God and His design. Now our final instruction on orderly worship order through Paul's authority. So Paul starts off this last section of instruction with or. He says, or was it from you that the word of God came, or are you the only ones that it has reached? He is not using or as a conjunction connecting two ideas, two words or two ideas, like do you want to eat hot pot or Cantonese food for lunch today? All right. He is using or as an emphasis of disbelief and confrontation with the Corinthians over their attitude towards Paul on some issue. First of all, it would not make sense that he's continuing the idea that of talking about women remaining silent, right? Especially when you look at verse 38 when he says, if anyone does not recognize this, his authority, he is not recognized. No, when Paul, on this last section, Paul is harking back to verse 33 where he says, For God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. Additionally, in 37, the use of the word things, acknowledge that the things that I'm writing to you, which Paul says, makes it clear that he is addressing more than just the topic of women weighing prophecy, but most likely the bigger issues of this epistle, of this letter. Calling back to chapter 12, verse 1 where he transitions to the topic of spiritual gifts, where he says, now concerning spiritual gifts. What Paul is doing is he is giving concluding marks on this topic. Now, as a response to his biting rhetoric, of which Paul gives the instructions, if anyone thinks he's a prophet uh, or spiritual, in response to his biting rhetoric, Paul gives the instructions, if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge the things that I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. All right? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. Paul makes it clear that there is not anyone prophesying or so filled with the Holy Spirit that they are above his apostolic authority. Let me say that again. In response to his rhetorical questions, Paul says, if anyone thinks that he is a prophet, or he is spiritual, he should acknowledge the things that I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. So he's making it clear that no matter what gifts you're exercising, right, you are not above my authority, which is from the Lord. Right? Paul's teachings are direct authority or command from God, making it the word of God. Moreover, the warning to the Corinthians is that if they do not recognize Paul's teachings, and its authority that they will not be recognized. If they do not recognize Paul's teachings and its authority that they will not be recognized. All right? Verse 37, if anyone thinks that he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge the things that I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Some commentators believe that Paul is referring to 
the church, right? That the, you will not be recognized by the church if you do not follow Paul's commands. This would be a huge downplaying of the consequences of not recognizing God's word, right? Especially in that context, okay? Not only would that be a huge downplaying of not following the commands of the Lord from Paul, but the failings of the church are the exact reason that Paul needs to write this letter. What does it matter if you're not recognized by the church if the church is in sin and needs correction, right? So when he says that you will not be recognized, we can infer that Paul is not saying not recognized by the church, but Paul is saying you will not be recognized by God, right? So he's saying that if you do not recognize the, the commands of the Lord that are coming from me, that I am writing to you, you will not be recognized by God. Paul then gives, Paul then gives one final reminder. Desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but in all things should be done decently and in order. Once again, Paul calls back to verse 36 and 33a, where he says, God is a God of peace and order. And his perfect design, he has called the church to glorify him through building up the church. We glorify him when we submit to Paul's teaching, for we glorify God when we submit to the word of God. That's essentially what God is saying. My teachings come from the Lord, right? And you should follow them because they are commands from the Lord. I think one of the best pictures of peace and building up is found in Colossians 3, verses 12 to 15, where Paul writes, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all else, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. Right? All those fruits of the Spirit, which he concludes in that verse to say, which indeed you were called in one body. This is what Paul means by peace in our worship gatherings. Right? This is what Paul means by peace in our worship gatherings. And we have that peace when we have order, when we're trying to teach one another and build one another up. Brothers and sisters, my college self, right, my college self with my chirp shopping mentality had an incomplete, dare I say, ignorant understanding of what it meant to be part of a church. All right, I will be the first to admit, I, very ignorant understanding of what it meant to be part of a church. I went to look for a church like I was trying to find an apartment or trying to buy a new laptop, right? What are my needs? What do I like? What are the pros and cons? And most importantly, I thought most importantly to myself, how can I be fed? How can I grow? We go to church or we gather to worship, not because it's optional. Number one, Ephesians 3.10, Paul says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Going to church is not optional. This is a calling command from the Lord, which Paul is writing. Number one, it's not optional. Right? We go to church not because it's optional. 
We go to church not because it's an obligation. We go to church not because it's an obligation. Like you're checking something off your checklist, my Christian checklist. Chick, tick, Sunday I went to church. We go to church not simply just to be fed through what is happening at church. We don't come to church just for our individual selves to be fed, which does, I do not exclude that, and Paul does not exclude that from happening, but that is not our motivation and purpose. We gather to worship God in an orderly manner to edify the church, to build up the church, to build up one another present. Now, this morning, I don't know the condition of your heart. All right? I don't know the condition of your heart. If you're visiting and you do not know Jesus, it is not an accident that you're here. It's not an accident that you're here. Right? God is chasing after your heart. God is chasing after you. I would encourage you to speak to me or any other member after the service to know more about who Jesus is, who Jesus is, and what it is like to be in a relationship with him. If you're a believer and you've been coming to WSBC, or even if it's your first time, it's totally fine, but especially those who've been coming to WSBC for a while, but you've not become a member, I would challenge you to commit to a church. And it doesn't have to be WSBC. Right? I would challenge you to commit to a church. Right? But to truly commit to a church where you're glorifying God by building up the church. Right? To truly commit to a church where you're glorifying God by building up the church. Not just going to church for your own spiritual needs, which once again is not excluded, but that is not the purpose written to us clearly from Paul. And lastly, for the members of WSBC, maybe you feel like your spiritual life is in rut. Right? You do your quiet times, you read other books, you watch uh, talks, sermons, listen to podcasts online, right? especially a lot of Christian authors, right? but you don't feel like you're growing in your faith. You're still stuck where you were a year, five years, or even 10 years ago. Right? I would challenge you to share your struggles with another member. Genuinely confide in them and earnestly seek others and allow them to confide their struggles with you. And then pray together and encourage one another. Right? This is what Paul was expecting when he says, we build up the church, which once again is not optional and it's not an obligation. This is the purpose and God's design from the very beginning. Right? Finally, for any believer that has been hurt by someone in the church, could be WSBC, could be a previous church, I would challenge you to remember chapter 13, the famous chapter that Brian preached on where, where Paul talks about love, and to seek out the person or people who might have hurt you and to seek reconciliation and forgiveness. For brothers and sisters, our God is a God of peace. Our God is a God of peace. Let us glorify Him as a church by how we love and how we build one another up. Let's pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, Lord, before you created the, the world, Lord, you had a perfect design to design the church to be the witness for heavenly beings, Lord. That through how we love one another, 
how we worship together and how we edify our local body that through this we will be witness to heavenly beings and and you will be glorified father father we pray that you soften our hearts for any walls that are built up from previous pains from wrong teachings lord we pray that you both encourage us convict us to truly commit to a local gathering so that we can be built up individually but more importantly we can build up one another we thank you lord pray this in your son's name amen